I've seen God do the most amazing, miraculous things in a human being that, that, that people would have written off as impossible or lost cause. But I've also found that that transformation doesn't often come the way many people expect it. See, see when, when I want transformation, I, I usually am waiting for the miracle. And when I say the miracle, maybe you're with me on this, it's the kind of miracle when you know it's a miracle, like, like, like a big, flashy, powerful miracle, right? Those kind of miracles that you go, yeah, that was a miracle. You, you know the miracles I'm talking about here today? I like that. How about you? And, and, and you know what else I like to do? I like to feel different. I like to feel that transformation. I like to feel new and clean and empowered and excited and ready to just kind of like climb a mountain for God. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever experienced that feeling? Is there no greater rush in the world? And yet, what I found is that many times, because God will come to us and will experience something like that, that suddenly that begins to equal what we think transformation actually is. Now, I'm utterly convinced that God transforms lives. But what I've found is that he often does not do his transforming work in that way. You know, I, I've come to discover that it, it doesn't matter how spiritually good you feel. It doesn't matter how much you like church, how engaging the message is, how good the music is, how great the coffee might taste. All of this stuff is good, but at the end of the day, if we do not have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're bankrupt. We're spiritually dead and stagnant. And I've come to find that where the Holy Spirit likes to swim, you know, where he spends his time is in this thing called the Word of God. And it's there in, in that Word that he comes to us to change us, to transform us, to speak to us, to be with us. And I'm so excited, guys, about what we're going to be doing over these next 40 weeks together. Yes, 40 weeks. What we are going to be doing is looking at 40 New Testament passages important for you to know. Why? Because I'm convinced that's where God's Spirit swims. And all the other stuff, as good as it is, without that, our relationship with God never gets beyond skin deep. Now, Christianity will often talk this way, right? About how the Bible is authoritative, how it's supposed to be an authority. I think there's some misunderstandings about that, and I just kind of like to talk about it because, you know, when, when Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven and was seated at the right hand of his father, his father did not put a book on the throne. So what does it actually mean when we say that the Bible is authoritative? Put another way, you can take a look at Matthew 28, right? It says this, Jesus' final words to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We know this, right? It doesn't say this, does it? And so what does it mean when we say that the Bible is an authority? Well, it's shorthand. And what it's shorthand for is that the Bible is the way that God exercises his authority. It's the way that God works his authority, and it's, it's where his authority becomes manifest, if you will. It's the way that God brings his spirit to you and to me to start transforming our minds just like Romans 12 here said a moment ago. 
See, God is all-powerful. Would you agree? And yet, did you notice that God doesn't seem to force himself on you? I don't know about you, but if I was all-powerful, I would be making happen what I want to happen all the time. And, and can we just say, isn't it mildly frustrating, at least when it revolves around other people, that God doesn't do that? But what God does is he comes to us in a different way instead because God is humble and God is gentle. And he comes to us and he says, here is where I live. Here is where I move and work. And he simply invites each of us to enter into that story with him because God has a story. And he wants his story to be your story. And over these next 40 weeks, what we're going to be doing is looking at this story of God and engaging how God's story can then become our story as we swim in, in that stream where, where he likes to be. Are you with me on this? Which raises another question. Isn't it a bit odd, too, to think of a story as being an authority? Or a story is being authoritative. See, I know a lot of believers who have come to, to, to bow their knee to Jesus as Savior and Lord and say, God, I want you to be the master of your life and I believe that what you speak in your word is true for me and I want that to become mine. But I think, have you done this? We often come to it and we come to it expecting it to tell us what to do. And yet, have you noticed that we come to the Bible and we expect it to tell us what to do and instead it begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, great. What am I supposed to do with that? See, I think that we want the Bible to be like a, a drill instructor. Maybe a nice drill instructor, all right? But we want to kind of get up in the morning. We want him to be standing there at the foot of our bed, and we want to go, okay, Lord, tell me what to do today. And instead, it says, once upon a time. What do you do with that? I mean, imagine if you, like, were there. It's the big game. The coach is, is about to put you in. There's two minutes left on the clock. You're down by four points. Coach, what do I do? And your coach answers, once upon a time. And the question is, if the Bible is a story and it's God's story, how does a story become something that's transformative and authoritative for you and for me? Now, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to imagine it this way. Imagine that um, a lost play of Shakespeare was found. Okay, This amazing five-act play that had never been seen before. Literary scholars didn't even know that it existed. They're out like doing some excavation work in London, and boom, there's like this, this, this trove of works, and among it is this, this original manuscript of Shakespeare. But there's a problem. Of this five-act play, four of the acts are completely intact. They're all laid out, okay? And then you come to act five, and you get the very beginning, but then the entire middle section of act five is missing with only some tail end things about how the story is supposed to climax. Are you with me so far? The Bible and the authority that it brings is a lot like that. 
Because more interested than telling us what to do, the Bible is concerned with us becoming a part of his story. So imagine that this five-act play of Shakespeare was given to this Shakespearean troop of actors, and they were told, what you need to do is improv the middle of act five. Now, your improv, it can't just be like wild and out there, right? I mean, if improv is good improv, it has to be in continuity with the story. Would you agree? I mean, the characters kind of have to keep their certain tone and their certain way of acting. I mean, all of these things have to be in place. Would you agree? And yet, within that improv, within that storyline and arc, there is a certain freedom, a certain extemporaneousness that the actors are invited into to make their own and play out with the freedom that they've been given. Do you know that God has given you abundant freedom? Galatians will say this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And you know what I found? Freedom scares believers to death. But God gives it to you. And what God does is he gives us a story, a five-act play, and invites us to live within that stream. So let me show you what I mean. If you were to take this to the Bible and look at the Bible as a five-act play, imagine it like this. Imagine that act one is all about creation, how in the beginning God made something good, this was the intention, and this is where it was supposed to go. You come to act two, and you get the fall. You get God's creation falling apart. You get the problem, the conflict in the story, if you will, that the entire rest of the story is an answer to. And you come to Act 3 and you see this group called Israel beginning to work out life in the context of what creation and fall and redemption is all about. And then you come to Act 4 and you meet this guy named Jesus. And we see it. We're there. We're on the pinnacle. We're seeing where God is going. And then you come to Act 5 of the Bible and the New Testament begins it. There we go. The New Testament begins it and gives us the ending. But we who are living here between the end of the New Testament and the coming of Christ are living in the dot, dot, dot. Called to play that story out. To play it out in continuity. To play it out according to the story arc. And yet to play it with a certain sense of freedom. So I'm going to show you a video this morning. And I just want you to watch this. It's a, uh, it's a graduation ceremony. I wish my graduation ceremony was like this. Um, at Northwestern, take a look.
Isn't it great when even that stodgy old dean stood up? Now, did you notice a few things? That was Wynton Marsalis. He's the, 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 the chair of the, the jazz music department over at Northwestern. I got some questions for you. Did you see any sheet music present? Okay, nothing, right? And how about the other guy? I don't know if you saw behind him, but there was a sax that was accompanying him. Did, was he using sheet music? I'm confused. How did he know what to play? If nothing told him what to play, how did he know what to play? Hmm. Do you think that, that Wynton Marsalis knew something about music, though? I mean, do you think that he just got up there and said, improv time, and he just let it cut loose with no controls or direction whatsoever? Do you think he did that? Guys, do you know that I play jazz trumpet? You know, I saw this video and it inspired me so much that I broke out my fourth grade Bundy trumpet and I said, I am going to rip one here this Sunday at FOF. Would you like to hear it? All right. I'll shut my mic off for this. rocked, didn't it? <laughs> now, now think about it. What is the difference, besides talent, between me and Wynton Marsalis? First of all, Wynton Marsalis understands something like this. Key. See, I played jazz band for years, and I never really understood that there was this thing called key. But what a key does is it codes the way the music should be played to keep it in harmony. It doesn't tell you every note. It doesn't tell you the order of the notes. It doesn't tell you the rhythm. But it brings a certain spectrum to keep the song sounding good. My bet is that Wynton Marsalis knows the key. W would you agree? And not only does he know the key, he knows how to play his life in accord with that key. Guys, I don't know key. All right? Not only do I not know key, I don't practice. You know, I bet that Wynton Marsalis didn't pick that up someday and just go, man, I want to play some good trumpet. And like he just picked it up and, hey, I'll, I'll just start at Northwestern. Right? <laughs> I don't practice. I haven't touched this thing in years. What is the difference? Something that is amazing and energizing and powerful and good versus something that is awkward and frustrating and just a little off to the ear. Are you with me? I see, I see Wynton Marsalis up there. I'm like, babe, man, that is the light of the world right there. That is what it's about. I mean, people can't help but get on their feet when someone plays like that. And all those stodgy people, too, when everyone else gets on their feet, they're not going to be left behind. They're going to get on their feet, too, because there is something powerful when someone plays in key. 
See, when God invites you to make his story your story, and when God gives you freedom to improv, what he doesn't mean is just kind of go out and pick up your Bundy trumpet of life and start hitting buttons and do whatever you want. And there's some of us that have been believers for years, but we still don't know the key of the Bible. So that when we try to do this improv called life, it sounds awkward and strange and even slightly painful. But when we learn God's key and learn what it means to play in the story arc, to immerse ourselves in it, to practice it, to take its worldview and make it our own worldview, and to learn how to act out scene five within the stream of that key, I tell you, that starts to happen. And that's what God wants for each of you. Because that's where transformation begins to occur. When God's story starts to become our story, and I'm not just talking, memorizing some Bible passages. Because you know what? I hit a clear C in there. And some of us go around going, John 3.16, John 3.16, John 3.16, I know one, as though that gives us the key to life. There is a bigger story at play, and you have to know the story if you want to play in key. And that's what I'm inviting you into these next 40 weeks, to learn the key, to take a look at 40 New Testament passages through which God wants to transform you, where God wants to meet you and speak to you and work in you. Because, guys, it's not in all of this. It's in this, where God is working and teaching us what that key is all about. So I want to show you three things this morning. Um, uh, we don't have time to get to that. All right. Um, I want to show you three things this morning. <laughs> about, <laughs> yeah, now I do, right? <laughs> Really good book if you haven't read it. We'll just go with it, all right? <laughs> no, but I want to share with you three things this morning about how to start making God's key your key, making God's story your story. What we're going to be doing these next 40 weeks is reading the whole New Testament in 40 weeks, but we're not doing it here at church. We're encouraging you to read the New Testament in 40 weeks. Now, one way you can do it is you can just say, I'm going to pick it up and I'll just kind of start. You, you know, and I don't know, that's always kind of demoralizing to me because you realize like Matthew and Mark and Luke, they're all really long and you don't feel like you're getting progress. So what we've given you today on those little connection packets is a 40-week reading guide that we are going to be going through as a congregation. It starts today with week one, Romans 12. Each week starts on Sunday, and the Sunday texts that you're getting here are always coded to what we're going to be talking about at FOF. Here's what I encourage you to do, guys. Take this home with you. Make a commitment to learn God's story. Read a little bit every day. Do it by yourself. Do it with your family. Do it in a group. I don't care. That's up to you. Now, sometimes people do this, and they get hopelessly, like, off, and they go back thinking, I'm going to try to, like, make up, like, the past, like, 18 weeks of readings. Let me encourage you, don't do that. That, that, that. That's just a way for good spiritual butt kicking, all right? It just hurts. If you miss a week, if you miss a day, just pick up, coded with the congregation, and let's walk together. Don't worry if you don't understand everything. Don't worry if it doesn't all make sense. 
At some level, you just got to start engaging with the story and let it speak for itself. Number two, each week we're going to have these sheets, these Bible studies called Going Deeper. It's one you do on your own. You can pick one up at the Welcome Center. All of this stuff is available online. If you want to take a passage like Romans 12 today and go deeper into it studying it, it's a little one-page Bible study that's meant to help guide you, to help you go deeper in the text and understand that story to a deeper level. And something else that we're going to challenge you to do is even memorize parts of the story. Because you know what's like so lame? It's so lame when you go to a show, like you go to a theatrical performance, like, you know, imagine going to Les Mis, right? And you go to Les Mis, and they're all like reading their words off the script. What's so cool about Winton up there was that he didn't need music because he knew it so intuitively. And he'd become such a part of him from engaging with it over and over and over again that suddenly he was able to take it and bring life to it himself. So the course of this time, we're just going to encourage you, don't, not only read the story, not only study the story, but start to inwardly digest it. Make it a part of yourself. Because guys, God has a story. And he wants his story to be your story. It is where he will meet you. It is where he will speak to you. It is where he will transform you. It's a promise of his. Make sense? So guys, this year, let's, uh, let's play. All right? We're going to go into a time of communion this morning. And uh, as we do, I think of, uh, of these words that come out of Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of the Hebrews says this. He says, the word of God, the New Testament, it's living and it's active. Which means it's not just sitting there as dusty words on a page. It's doing something. It's living and active. Not only that, he says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's so sharp that it's able to penetrate our lives in ways that, 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 that even the physical things of this world cannot. It can pierce soul and heart and divide soul and bone and marrow. It's where God comes to you. You know, sometimes when you, you interface with the word of God, you experience that pierce. As we come into this time of communion today, I want to invite you to invite God to pierce you here today, to penetrate your life. Sometimes it just starts by asking him, Lord, come in. Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, make your story my story. So I want, you, I want to invite you to, to come to him before we commune just in the time of prayer and pray that with me. Let's rise. God in heaven, let your story be our story. Lord, may we immerse in it, soak in it, drink it. May we expose ourselves to it.
Lord, come to us. Enliven us and strengthen us and transform us. Encourage us and convict us and then reveal things to us, God. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. And all God's people said, Amen. There's a, an ancient Christian creed. It's called the Nicene Creed. You know what it is? It's cliff notes to the Bible. Because sometimes having cliff notes helps get the story down. Would you agree? As we come and get ready to commune today, I just want to invite you to say it together along with me. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body and it's given for you. And afterwards, he took a cup and he gave thanks. And he gave thanks to God and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood and it's shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins, for your life transformation. So do this often in remembrance of me. Brothers, sisters, welcome to the table of the Lord. Amen. You can have a seat. Greater, stronger, healer, awesome in power. The list can go on, can't it? I want to invite you into a time of prayer this morning. But rather than me just pray us through, I want to invite all of us to come and, and pray together. And here's how I invite you to do it. Just shout out something about God a word or a phrase. And after you do, just say, transform me. So maybe, God, you are holy. Transform me. God, you are righteous. Transform me. You see how this works here today? So I just want to invite you to step out of your comfort zone if this is a scary place and, and shout God's glory and ask for his transformation for you. Let's pray.
Lord, you're amazing. Transform me. speak transform me you're awesome transform you understand transform me God, you are all this and so much more. The angels, they surround your throne. The company of heaven, it says, that numbers thousands upon thousands. Our loved ones who have gone before us. The entire kingdom of heaven cries your praises for you are worthy and you alone of all praise and worship. May that be our gift to you. Thank you speaking. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for your transforming power. And God, thank you for your story. May your story become our story this day and every way. May it change us and mold us and shape us and use us and fill us and drive us and make us all, God, that you've intended for us to be. This, God, we pray, not by strength, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit who lives and reigns and comes. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. May the power of the living God come upon you. May he speak to you. May he be with you. May his story become your story. Amen. Amen. Guys, you can go ahead and have a seat. Um, you know, as, as you do, let's just give our, our choral section and our, and our musicians a, a round of encouragement today, all right? Guys, I am so stoked about this 40-week journey together and getting in to, to what God has to say. I just want to remind you again, bring one of these, uh, one of these things home with you. There, there's extras at the Welcome Center and at the info table. They're also available online. And start tonight. Start personally. Start with your family. Start however you want to make it happen. Read the chapter assigned for today. You do this, and in 40 weeks, guys, you will be through the whole New Testament. All right? Likewise, again, Going Deeper Sheets, available online and at the info, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the Welcome Center, um, if you're interested in that. And uh, make sure to pick one of those up on your way out. Um, listen, ushers are going to come forward in just a moment here. Um, they're going to be receiving the offerings. It's one of the ways that we worship here at Fellowship of Faith. That being said, if you're with us for the first time here today, don't feel awkward, don't feel pressured. This is the way that God's people who have committed themselves to this body make the ministry go forward and honor him. So don't be afraid of letting that bucket pass you by, all right? However, I would love for all of you, fill out one of those connection cards, would you? And uh, before the ushers come, pull it out because I want you to take a look at a couple of things on the back, okay? Can you pull one of these out with me? 
as we enter into this, this, this journey together at Fellowship of Faith, there's various ways we'd like to help you take next steps in making that story your story. If you check that one that says take the 40-week reading challenge, we'll be in contact with you this week about some practical ways to set up reading the New Testament every single day according to the plan. Um, 